Interviewing is hard, and while we probably all focus on primarily the technical interviews, the behavioral interviews can make or break your success. In two previous episodes, we discussed data structures and algorithms, as well as the front-end technical interview process. This week, we're covering the behavioral and cultural side of interviews, essentially the rest of the interview that doesn't include the technical questions. Let's get started. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma. And we're debugging the tech industry. AWS Amplify is a suite of tools and services that enables developers to build full-stack serverless and cloud-based web and mobile apps using their framework or technology of choice on the front end. Using Amplify, you can quickly get up and running with things like hosting, authentication, managed GraphQL, serverless functions, APIs, machine learning, chatbots, and storage for files like images, videos, and PDFs. Amplify is built especially in a way to enable traditionally front-end developers like myself to be successful because they can use their existing skill set to build real-world full-stack apps that in the past would require deep knowledge around back-end, DevOps, and scalable infrastructure. The Amplify console then allows you to use a GitHub repository to deploy a globally available CDN with CI and CD built in. To learn more, visit aws-amplify.github.io. All right. So to start off this episode, let's kind of recap, you know, what we talked about in the previous two episodes with the resumes and the technical interviews. So we can kind of put this in an overall picture of when we're talking behavioral interviews or the non-technical questions, what part of the interview process are we actually talking about? Emma, do you want to walk us through this? Okay. So <laughs> I'm in a weird mood. Okay. So um, flow of a technical interview. Essentially, you started this whole process when you created and submitted your resume. You were then likely contacted by a recruiter. And your first phone call with that recruiter is going to be part of the process we'll discuss today. This is going to be your first introductory interview with someone internal to the company. So we'll talk about phone screens in just a few minutes. From there, if you pass that phone screen, you'll either have a coding challenge or like a take-home assessment. You might even have both depending upon the company. And if you do well with those, which we discussed in the previous episode that we'll have linked in the show notes, then you'll likely go for an on-site interview. And at a lot of companies, this on-site interview will be mostly coding. Uh, It's not unlikely to spend half a day, a full day coding with the team, but you'll also encounter some non-technical, in terms of coding, interviews. And this is what we're going to discuss today. So it'll be a combination of the phone screen as well as the cultural fit or behavioral interview you might have on an on-site. So why don't we start with the phone screen? And yeah, we had discussed resumes in a previous episode. Your resume Don't create it and throw it over the wall and forget what you put on there. Like, please remember what's on your resume because they will likely ask you like questions about your past experiences or the projects you've listed or a skill that you might have written down. Kelly, I know you or like you are in a position to hire people. How how big of an impact does resume play in your first conversation with someone? It, it depends on the application. And like in our case, we do ask some additional questions about, you know, specific work examples and things like that. But, you know, for the most part, especially when you're interviewing with companies, all you really have to go off of is the actual resume that, that, they're, that you're sending the company. So we're going to be reviewing that resume. We're going to be asking you questions about that resume. And it really, it, it kind of forms the, the basis of the, the questions so we can get to know who you are. Allie, what about you? What's your experience with these kinds of like cultural fit phone screens? Yeah, so I think you all have explained it pretty well, but 
they just mostly ask about your experience and make sure that it lines up at least roughly with the requirements because we talked about this before, but it's kind of a waste of everybody's time if somebody is just their experience does not line up with the position whatsoever to go through a whole entire interview process. Um, so it's just kind of a filter for that. And I use it as well as when I'm interviewing because doing an on-site interview is a huge time suck. And so I want to make sure that it's a role that I'm really, really interested in before taking off a day from work. Yeah, definitely. And it's quite often, you know, as as Emma mentioned, uh, you know, speaking with the recruiter about this, um, in our case, you know, we don't have a recruiter. So it's <laughs> going to be our project manager and one of our developers, if you're interviewing for the developer position, um, who you're talking to first in the phone screen. So I come in the, the second interview. I would say typically this phone interview is not going to be that high stakes, right? In general, they're already taking the time to discuss with you. They're probably going to send you on to this coding challenge if your expectations are kind of equal in terms of, uh, so an example where they wouldn't be equal perhaps and you might not move forward is if you're talking to a recruiter in a different state or a different country and you aren't willing to relocate and they're not willing to let you work remotely, that might be a deal breaker. But if those kinds of things align and you exhibit the skills that they are looking for, likely you're going to move on to the next round. Um, in this interview as well, the recruiter will likely tell you about job requirements. So about the role, about the product, please read the job description before you go into this because they're going to ask you, so like, do you know what this role is? Like, do you know what our company does? And if you say no, like, I don't think it'll really affect your chances of moving on, but it it does kind of make you it look. Could. It could. It's not as likely to keep yeah. you from moving on as like uh, if you don't match their skill set, but it makes you look bad. And it kind of like if I was a recruiter, I think I would be like, then why are you here? Honestly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Another thing is that really big companies, sometimes you'll just put in a generic application and then during this initial phone screen, the recruiter will match you up with potential jobs that within the company that would be a good fit. I know with interviewing at a big search engine company, that's what <laughs> this this kind of was, was that uh, I had put it or they had recruited me based off of doing a coding competition called Code Jam that they host. And then the first phone screen was just them matching me up with roles internally that might fit my background and my interests. That's really cool. So that you might be able to see at, at really big companies with lots of roles open. I had no idea that Ask Jeeves hosts Code Jam. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? They're really up on the times. <laughs> I also want to state... At this point, the recruiter might ask you your salary expectations. Please never tell them. You should always respond. You know, I want to make sure this is a mutual um, decision or like I want to make sure we get along. We This is going to be right for us before we discuss compensation. We can discuss that later once we both recognize that this is a, a mutual thing that we want to happen. Never give them a number. And there are several reasons. And we're going to do a whole episode on salary and negotiations and all of that. Uh, does someone else want to answer this? Like why you should never tell them your your requested salary? Yeah. Um, from an employer standpoint, you can very much lowball yourself from the very beginning. Like let's say I'm offering $120,000 for a position and you're like, yeah, I'm looking for 60. I'm like, I'm not going to offer you 120 now that I know that you're only looking for 60. I'm not saying I actually do that. I have a very fixed way of, of me with my salaries and, and paying developers, but that is a very real thing. Um, I will say there's one caveat to that though, because when you're working with an external recruiter or sometimes even the internal recruiter, 
it it could also be a like if you're giving a range or if the recruiter offers up a range at the beginning like this is kind of what to expect from this position um i know this this happens in in some larger companies where there will be a little like a, a brief discussion about salary up front just to make sure that there's something generally in line with what to expect from uh from the pay so if it's a lower paying position you're looking for more money um I, I know the recruiter would rather not waste your time going through the entire interview process if it's not going to be a good fit that way. Yeah, I have a couple different strategies on this question. And so the first is that it's actually legal in a lot of states to ask that question. So make sure you know your rights there and can like flag that if it's a state that it's illegal. Um I would say it's probably the majority of the states in the United States. I don't know about internationally, but to um, clarify they're not allowed to ask you what you're currently making. They're not like they could ask you what you expect. Yeah. 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 They're not allowed to ask what you're currently making. So um, the big strategy here is to never put down a number first, get them to say the number before you do. So you're not lowballing yourself. But I do think that asking for a range as a rebuttal to that question is if they ask you what you're currently making, asking what the range is for the um, job, I think that that's an appropriate question because, again, you don't want to go through a bunch of rounds of interviewing if the range is, like, way lower than what you make now or something that you would never consider. Um, so I do think that that's an important to conversation to have, and the earlier maybe the better so that you don't have to go through a bunch of rounds when it's not going to be a good fit. I have to say, I have to shout out Basecamp for a moment here because I, I'm trying to model my business after the way Basecamp operates. They're very open and transparent with their operations, and there's so much that you can learn from it. One of the things I absolutely love that they do is that they don't like for all their developers, they're all getting paid the same amount. You know, it's based on like, you know, seniority as you move up, they have those different tiers. But when you're applying for the position, the salary is right there in the job listing. So you know exactly what to expect. Um, and, and they also like base it off of, I think, like San Francisco salaries. So regardless of where you live, you're still getting paid like a San Francisco level salary. Well, now I can't pay that kind of money, but I just love that transparency. They don't negotiate either. And if you're following along with our book club, our March book is, it doesn't have to be crazy at work. And this is, it was written by the founders of Basecamp and they outwardly discuss the fact that they don't negotiate. Everyone gets paid the same. So it's a very short book, very readable. Like I started this morning, I'm halfway through. So uh, I highly recommend it for anyone. Um, but just a couple, so excited yeah, it's to read really it. It's such a good well, book. Well, this is for me as a reread. And to discuss it's it, a reread too. for me. Yeah. And the first time I listened to the audiobook, which is also really good. But um, that's a tangent. Oh, well, it's new to me. So <laughs> I'll be the noob in the conversation. Good. I can't. It's still going to be a good discussion. Also, I don't know if this episode is releasing before our – I guess it might be releasing before the, our podcast episode releases. Yeah, it is. So read it and discuss with us put your thoughts in our Goodreads group. So I just had a couple more points before we move forward to the next piece of this interview, but two points. One, if you do get a recruiter to give you a, a number first, or if you're in the process of you've gotten a an offer and you're going to negotiate, the first number they give you is not going to be their highest. They always start low and there's always room for them to go up. So just be aware of that. Like never take an offer at face value. And there was a tweet thread going around by this woman who I believe is a lawyer. It's really, really good. We'll link it in the show notes as well. 
And she discusses why you should always negotiate, never take a face value. So we'll link that. The second is going to be that you're going to receive different salary ranges between a startup and one of these tech giants. So be aware of that. And also be aware of like the average pay scale for someone in your seniority level in your region because those are going to vary greatly. I think the site to look at is the Levels IO, right? Is that the... I'm going to make sure that that's the right URL. Yes. Nope, nope, it is not. <laughs> I was going to say, what is this? There's some guy with four huskies in in the photo. That sounds fun. Anyway. Yeah. So there's this um, levels.fyi. So it's .fyi, not IO. The other, at least it was still a safe for work website. It's, at least you didn't send people to like this really not safe for workplace. Yeah, it looks like a really fun blog. So you should follow <laughs> that as well. It's like a digital nomad. So very cool. Are we officially um, backing this blog now? <laughs> yeah, let's put in a plug for her. Free sponsorship. <laughs> but levels.fyi has the different levels of salary at the different large tech companies. So you can see all of the... Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, and all the unicorns as well. So the hot startups. And so you can definitely check out that site to see what they pay at different roles. And yeah, geographically, that's going to range a lot. Uh, The middle of the country in the United States usually pays a lot less than the coast. Well, that's what I was wondering. Like, do they aggregate cross countries too? Because even cross country, this is going to vary greatly. I think it's San Francisco based, but I'm not 100% sure. It's weird because like in the recent salary submissions, they even have like uh, they had one for Dublin. So it might aggregate. Yeah. as an average. But when you're dealing cross currencies like that stuff gets weird. So it's a definitely a great site. If you're in the US, I would definitely check it out. But if you're in Europe, I would just be tentative that like it might not be accurate. Yeah, definitely. Especially since salaries are a lot, lot different. We They did that um, Twitter thread the other day of people's salaries. I think it was shocking how different they were um, from Europe to the United that, States. We could have done a whole episode on like the... <laughs> that Twitter. Thread. I feel like when we do our our salaries and yes. negotiation episode, we should absolutely talk. About yeah, that we should absolutely. It's really fascinating. Back on topic. So once you've passed, once you've passed the phone interview, once you've gone through the coding challenges, you should be invited to an onsite. Most companies will do an onsite interview day. If you're not local, they might not fly you out. You might do these remotely, which is totally fine. This is where you're going to get the majority of. of harder questions to answer. And this is where more of the preparation is going to come in. Uh, There is... So when I interviewed at a few big companies, they talked to me a lot about Agile. Actually, at our current company, they have candidates meet with our scrum masters to discuss Agile workflow. So if you're unfamiliar with Agile, you might just want to go check it out. It's, It's a workflow methodology. You should be familiar with scrum as well. Be able to just talk about your experience with it. Um... And and then or if you don't have experience with it. Right, right. Just be aware of what it is and and be able to talk to it if you do have experience and just, you know, be forthcoming if you don't. Uh, But then let's talk about behavioral slash cultural fit questions. Uh, Kelly, you want to lean into this? I yeah. So this is a very important part of our interview process because we're a very small team. And so every single person on our team, it has to be a really good culture fit. So 
when we're, you know, when I'm doing these interview questions, this is really where where it comes into interviewing with me as well. Um, you're wanting to have a couple examples for various uh, behavioral questions, and I mean, we can we can link to some examples of questions that uh, that are often asked in an interview. Um, but honestly, you can do a really quick Google search for it. There are a ton of really great websites that just list out the the type of questions to expect. And you know, just to give you some examples now, you know, it might be like. Um, tell me about a, a, a time when you uh, were experiencing a conflict with within your team and how did you go about solving for that? Or tell me about a time where a project didn't go as expected and how did you recover from that? So, I mean, there, there are a lot of like ex- experiential kind of kind of questions that I'm being uh, that I'm asking. Um, I'm trying. Why don't you why don't we do a little mock behavioral interview like ask one of us ask us each a question and let's see how we would answer this on the spot because i think that's useful no cool. but yeah. now i'm scared let me pull up my <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh I'm okay so and this is this is also like for an in, in like an employer's kind of tip um i don't know what book this came from i will find out and put it in the show notes because my husband actually walked me through this process where basically i created a scorecard for what it looks like to be a developer uh at the tap room and i listed this is the mission of the position um these are the outcomes i expect you to uh you know to achieve i guess and then the professional and cultural competencies that are associated with this role so in terms of like cultural competencies i'm talking about being communicate uh, communicative having a sense of humor you're socially aware you're outgoing you find opportunities to support others things like that um and then i i frame my questions around addressing the cultural competencies and the professional competencies so now that i have that let me pull up my uh interview questions and i will give you a, an example of one and if you don't know how to answer one of these questions, just take a, just take a moment. Uh, maybe be explicit about that. Be like, oh, let me think about this for just a few moments. Like, it's not a big deal. It's actually better, I would say, to pause. Think about an answer and kind of formulate it in your mind before you just start, like, word vomiting. Because I've done the word, word vomit thing. And then you get all flustered and it can kind of affect your performance moving forward. So just take a moment. Yes. Okay. I have a I have a good one that actually one of my employees suggested adding to the interview process. So let's say you came across an issue with another developer's code, somebody else on your team. Maybe it was a bad practice or it wasn't performance or it was causing other issues on the site. How would you go about addressing that with the developer? I would burn it all and not tell them. <laughs> I'm kidding. You're hired. Throw their computer um, okay, out the so window. If this were me and because I work on an international team, cross cultural, I have so we're gonna link this in the show notes because I don't stop talking about this book. It's called The Culture Map. To be fair, I haven't discussed it in a while. It's called The Culture Map. It's by Erin Meyer. She discusses how different cultures communicate and collaborate effectively. And when you work with people from other cultures, they give feedback, specifically negative constructive criticism, uh, in different ways. So just to give a high level before I get into my answer, because I work with Germans primarily. Uh, Germans are, I believe it's high context. Oh my gosh, I don't know. I'm going to butcher like the actual language. But basically, Germans are much more direct. And where other cultures fall on the scale, like their absolute positioning doesn't matter where they are, if they're low context or high context communicators. What matters is where they are relative to you. And as an American, we like to kind of wrap constructive criticism in a in a present and we're not very uh straightforward about things so if someone gave a presentation we'd be like hey i really enjoyed your talk you know you did a really good job on 
A, B, and C. This part, you know, I was still a little uncertain. Maybe next time you could go into more details, but overall, great job. And so you kind of cushion the blow with like a nice like pillow hug. Um, in Germany, they're much more direct and they would just be like, hey, next time you should be more, you know, you should go into more detail about this because it really wasn't clear. Uh, and they might not even give you a compliment and that's fine. So if I were addressing this on an international team, I would try to be straightforward in a way that they're going to understand what I mean, uh, but do so in a nice way. So first of all, I would pull them one-on-one. I would not do this in a group setting. Very few cultures, it's okay to publicly uh, give someone feedback. Humiliate somebody. Yeah. Yes. No, some cultures, it's actually a given. I think Denmark is very straightforward about giving their constructive criticism in front of a group, and that's actually preferred. But in Asia, you would never do that in front of a group. It's actually very insulting. So I, I think it's always better to err on the side of caution. Pull them aside just one-on-one and be like, hey, like talk me through your solution here. Like, What were you thinking? What was your thought process? And understanding, like putting yourself in their shoes um, can do two things. One, it might make them realize that, oh my gosh, this is causing an issue and I see it now. Uh, Or two, it might just let you get a better understanding of where they're coming from. And when you understand where they're coming from, uh, it's easier for you to guide them to the the better solution, right? So like, all right, if we take an example of like non-performant code, for example, let's say someone wrote a a nested for loop, which we know is not a great performance runtime at O of N squared. Um, Just say like, hey, what was your reasoning? Maybe they needed to find, uh, I don't know, sort an array of integers. (laughs) I don't know, right? And so getting them talking about their, their thought process be like, well, you know, I wasn't really sure. I had to compare every item against itself. And then you can ask them questions to guide them to the right solution and be like, well, is there a way to break this into smaller and smaller pieces so you're not having to do as much comparisons and, you know, potentially might be more performant? And I think that's going to alleviate this uh, level of embarrassment they might feel if you just came at them like, hey, this code's terrible. It's not performant. Uh, And it's a learning experience for both of you. So that's how I would approach it. It's more of like a teaching experiment than a public humiliation experiment (laughs) (laughs) that's a can i just like pause for just a second because i want to kind of go back to the feedback kind of conversation you were talking about um the feedback sandwich you wrap negative feedback around good feedback it's terrible the the other way around kelly do not give negative criticism around a a compliment (laughs) yeah you wrap negative feedback around positive no you wrap it in positive oh you're right i did have it backwards okay negative feedback it's like actually your presentation was terrible i loved your slide design but you're terrible (laughs) go home you're awful (laughs) okay yes let's let me fix that positive feedback then negative feedback then positive feedback um don't do that um there's a book called radical candor a candor um by kim scott uh, she calls it the shit sandwich for a very good reason. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that to the show notes as well, just the, the book in general. It's really, really helpful. And also, there is an episode, um, I don't remember what the podcast is called, Work Life, I think. It's by Adam Grant. Um, it's like a TED Talk uh, podcast. Uh, they, it, it, one of the first episodes in the podcast is all about uh, giving or like dealing with criticism. And he also goes more into detail about the, about accepting criticism. And it's a really fascinating episode. So I'm going to also add that to the show notes. Now we can carry on with interesting things. Well, how was my answer? I mean, it was long-winded because I gave that intro to communication. Oh, yeah. You just like ate up the entire interview time for uh, one question. Well, okay. But I had to educate <laughs> before I gave my answer. No, it was a, it was a very good answer. And those are the kinds of things that I'd be looking for. Like, 
Are you going to attack somebody or are you going to work through them? The fact that you approach it from a, let's work through this together. Let me, let talk me through your thought process as opposed to you did something wrong. It shows a more like a higher level of leadership and mentorship. And that is something that I would be looking for in a position. To be fair though, Kelly, I would not have educated like my interviewer on the culture map. That was just for our podcast listeners. Like my answer would have taken a minute and a half max. Just wanted to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying because I was not sure at I all. I want to, can I ask Allie a behavioral interview question? Do it. I don't know if it's behavioral or just, in, I think it's behavioral. So you're going to hate me for this one, Renny, but like, what's your biggest weakness? Oh my goodness. This is the quintessential question. <laughs> I know. Are you just going to talk about your tweet, Emma? Is if that you, why you're bringing this up? What do you mean my tweet? What tweet? The tweet that just ended up on, on programmer humor. The rebase. Oh, no. I was going to say chocolate was mine. Chocolate is my biggest weakness. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I do know what I would say to that question. And it would just be the fact that I overcommit to things because I'm too excited. And that it's a positive weakness, right? Like I'm excited about stuff, but I overcommit and then my work quality suffers. That would be my answer. That's a good one. If you give answers like, I just, I love my job too much and I'm too dedicated to it, please don't do that. I can give an example of one of mine. Not that I have many weaknesses or anything like that. Um, from a management standpoint, I really struggle with delegation. I can get things done a lot faster doing it myself than teaching somebody else how yeah, to do that. And that's something I'm thing. That's yeah, me too. That is something I'm working on. I'm right there with you. I don't like letting go. Um, but what I would say when you're answering this question, because you probably will get this, uh, spin it as a positive or not spin it as a positive necessarily, but indicate to them that you're aware of this and you're taking steps to mitigate it. Right. So like for me, it would be like, yeah, I overcommit to things. So I try to limit the amount of things that I will commit to in a month. So I don't take on any more than three active things at a time. Uh, Kelly, yours might be, uh, I, I don't know. I'm reading more <laughs> management books to get yeah. better at it. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I, I will say, like, trying to spin this question as a positive, I, as an employer, I can see right through that. Well, not as a positive, but, like, just make, like, make it known, you know, like, that you are aware and working on it. I want, I want transparency. I want honesty. I want that. I want to know the fact that you, you know, you've been thinking about these kinds of things and how you can better yeah, yourself. Definitely. I think mine would be along the lines of, um, I think Emma is probably mine as well as saying yes to everything, especially last year, but trying to be really good about like saying no to things and prioritizing what I actually want to do and what's the most important for me to accept for my major goals. But then the other one, is that I can be, I can kind of just go along with things and um, not necessarily assert myself as much in some conversations. And so that's something that I'm working on as well. But I am also not interviewing and am very far outside of the interview game. I haven't done a job interview in maybe four years or something like that. So I, I don't have these questions prepped. <laughs> I also want to be clear that interviewing is a skill. It is something you get better at with practicing, not only on the being the interviewee, but also being the interviewer. So you can definitely tell when you go into an interview as like a candidate and you're talking to somebody who is very new to interviewing. And 
we can maybe talk a little bit about our strategies for preparing when we're interviewing. So when I was interviewing, I had um, written responses to a lot of these just in order to prepare myself. Like if I get a question similar to this, these are some talking points that I could use. Here are some stories. Here are some examples of things that I've done that I could uh kind of lace into these answers to these questions. And so having those anecdotes stored ahead of time that you can use when you're in that situation, I think can be really valuable. Definitely. And researching the company, researching the role, seeing the past work the company has done, especially if it's like an agency setting, things like that. Um, I, I like, you know, having that kind of background knowledge of the company going into Definitely. it. Well, also you should you should have at least two potentially three stories that you can kind of regurgitate when you're asked about something. Preferably stories that can be used for multiple questions. Like yeah. tell me about something tell me about a project that succeeded and you were really proud of versus tell me about a time where, you know, a project didn't succeed and how you handled that, things like that. If you're answering with the same question for when a project didn't succeed and when a project <laughs> succeeded, I would love to see how that Amazing. one is fun. No, I also want to make a quick <laughs> clarification before we continue that there are kind of two parts of the human interview. The first one is behavioral, and behavioral interviewing actually has a specific meaning. And I want to thank um, Andrew Certain for DMing me about this and what uh, behavioral interviewing really means because I kind of got this wrong in a Twitter thread a while ago. So at Amazon, where he works, they use these to assess their leadership principles, and they normally start these with, tell me about a time when. Um, So tell me about a time when a project failed. Tell me about a time when a project did really well. Tell me about a time when you messed up or you did something awesome. Um, These kind of questions that we've been talking about, those fit into the behavioral interview, but that's kind of one segment of this. And then the other part is cultural fit. And culture fit, I think, has kind of a red flag tone in my head to some extent because I think that there is some problematicness to that idea and maybe that I think of culture fit as like will this person play ping pong and drink beer with us are they going to be a culture fit to our (laughs) Silicon Valley startup in the most stereotypical way but it is important that somebody would integrate into your team and would work well with other people so maybe some other term other than culture fit would be better but it is something to assess that somebody is going to fit well onto the existing team that they do well work well with other people and assessing all of those things but the idea of culture fit I think has historically been something that um, people use to like discriminate against people who are from uh, backgrounds different than the people that make up the majority of the team currently, which leads to um, under-representation of certain demographics, which we talk about on here a lot. They used to be um, like this circulating question of like, would I want to be stuck in an airport overnight with this person? And it's like, that's not a good gauge of culture. <laughs> like, that's not a good gauge of whether you should hire someone. Like, there are plenty of people I wouldn't want to be stuck in an airport with overnight. Or, like, I wouldn't want to be stuck in an airport overnight overall. With really anybody. <laughs> but, but, like, that doesn't determine whether or not I enjoy working with this person. And, yeah, like Ellie mentioned, this is unconscious bias at its greatest. I'm reading a book right now called Brotopia that examines the Silicon Valley, like, bros club, essentially. Uh, and I would say it had a lot of the same sen- sentiments as our February book club, Invisible Women. But it's more, like... um, 
a narrative than facts. And she discusses the fact that, you know, in the beginning, they were hiring this one archetype of a programmer, which uh, was, I don't know, like what you consider like a white male, a cis white male. And then this whole culture fit idea perpetuated that. And soon we were surrounded with a plethora of cis white men. And that's how this culture in Silicon Valley came to be known. So yeah, Sally's point, culture fit is kind of, it's a catalyst for unconscious bias, I guess. Or the other way around, unconscious bias is a culture fit thing. It's also an interesting question to ask the interviewer as well. How would you describe this company's culture? Good point. I have an answer for it for the tap room, which because it's it's part of you know, when I'm when I'm looking for somebody, as I as I mentioned before, like I'm looking for people who are going to be supportive, who are going to be innovative and collaborative. And those are the kinds of things that I'm 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 measuring how how successful you're going to be on like integrating with the team. Yeah, that sounds good. So when you're answering these types of questions, I think specifically the behavioral questions, the STAR technique is a really great technique for doing so. And this is where you can practice ahead of time and write down two to three situations using this STAR technique that will exemplify the behaviors they're looking for. So the first, uh, it's an acronym. So the first letter is S for situation. Describe the situation that took place. T is task. Describe the task that you were asked to complete. And if there was a problem that you were trying to solve, describe that. The third is action. Explain what action you took to complete this task or solve the problem. And lastly, explain the results. And often results are the most important part. We talked about results and outcomes in our resume episode because that's what people want to hear is what actions did you take and what were the, the achieved um I'm sorry, now don't focus on your actions so much as you focus on the results that you achieved. I will say like this is great for great for practicing for, you know, have I covered all my bases in answering these questions? But like when you're in an interview setting, don't feel like you have to specifically go through it in this order because you're Mm -hmm. going to feel like you're trying to like recite something from memory. And then if you get stuck or forget a certain point, you're going to kind of stumble your over your own words. So it's it's good for preparation, but don't feel obligated to like follow this exact path when you're actually answering a question in, in, in an interview setting. Yeah, you're not reciting a sonnet. Like you're just kind of <laughs> reiterating How amazing happened. would that be? Like, please tell me about a project that went wrong in limerick form. Yes. <laughs> <I'll>, <laughs> oh, I can imagine. <laughs> that would be something I'm I would curious, ask. Kelly, have you ever had a situation during the hiring process with a candidate where they answered something in a behavioral interview and at that moment you kind of knew it wasn't going to work out? Like, are there any red flags? Oh, absolutely. Um, talking about a time when a project didn't go as planned and how you went about doing it, the candidate decided to tell me about how uh, – uh, another developer overstepped on their boundaries and decided to tell them how they needed to do their code or how they were how they were supposed to be writing their code and that it was you know completely inappropriate to be to be telling me how to do my job you know I have a different boss that I report to I don't report to you and I'm like okay let's take a step back and calm down and and take a breath because you just got super combative over a question I just asked and clearly there is a you know. There's there's some ill feelings there that they're still working through. Um, I've also had certain questions, and I don't know if it's just because I have a background in social work, so I'm a trained therapist, but there are a lot of situations that come up in my interviews where I almost feel like they're 
really opening on up you. to a level. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it becomes almost like a little bit of an uncomfortable situation. Like this same person was telling me about how they're, you know, how they're really struggling through, uh, you know, a certain issue w- in the workplace. And then they like actually started tearing up during the interview about it. And I just like, I I don't know how to handle this. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to say never blame someone else for a problem at work. Like when you're reiterating this to someone who you are hoping is going to hire you, they want to see, at least from my experience, they want to see ownership of, like, if you messed up, like, own up to it, but also explain what you did to mitigate that. Never blame someone else. Don't throw them under the bus. It's going to make you look awful and it's going to make people not want to work with you. And also don't snap at the interviewer. (laughs) <laughs> I don't I speak from experience here. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, one of these these situational questions that might require a little bit more thinking or, um, you know, when I ask, do you have any additional questions for me at the end? And there's some silence. You know, I let them know, you know, it's, it's, it's okay if you don't have anything, you know, anything more to ask. And I said that to somebody and they're like, I'm still thinking about it. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, and I'm like, all right, you go ahead and think about it then. I think I don't have to think any more about this, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've made my decision. <laughs> I think that's a good transition into talking about some of the basic professionalism things to think about when you're interviewing anywhere. So being polite to your interviewer is a big one. Another one is like maybe not being super negative about past employers. I think it's fair game to like say why you're leaving somewhere. But if you're just like completely shitting on them and uh, going off on why it's an awful place to work and all that, like that's not going to look super good. And it's going to be like, you know, maybe they're going to talk about me this way at some point or something along those lines. So I I would definitely think about that. Um, Another one is and this is an interesting conversation maybe to have is how to dress for tech interviews. And that's a big question that I see. And I don't even know. I only wear crop tops and, and jorts. <laughs> jorts. Amazing. I wore jorts. A, a suit to my very first uh, startup <laughs> oh. interview and they made fun of and I ended up working there, but they made fun of me about it for like years after the fact. <laughs> okay. But that's a really important point to make because – a lot of a lot of companies have a very casual dress code. That does not mean that you should show up for your interview completely dressed casually as well. You know, it's it's all about the professional presentation too. I'm not saying, but dress I've in a also suit. heard both. So like I've heard dress like you're already working there. So like they want to see that you can fit in, but also be appropriate about it. So dress smart. I think is coming out of this like yeah. that's exactly it don't yeah. wear your prom dress from 2011 and don't show up in a bathing suit like dress smart as the the british would say uh for me what that looks like is generally like a pair of nice like uh, trousers i don't like that word it sounds old um trousers like nice uh like slacks i guess what is the word for like fancy yeah. pants i wear my fancy <laughs> pants <laughs> um with like, a- um, we're not going to talk about the word pants, though, because that also has many different meanings. Whatever, Kelly. We're not in the UK, okay? Uh, I'll put my fancy pants on. No, so generally, I'll wear like high waisted fancy pants with like a tucked in dress shirt and then like some lower heels. But also, like I could wear a dress if it's a little bit nicer up. But don't wear a mini dress and don't wear something you're going to be uncomfortable in. Just like we talked about this in our conference episode, don't wear something you're going to be uncomfortable in because it's going to affect your subconscious like thought process. Yeah. I, again, am more of, like, a startup person, and so 
I would normally wear nice jeans and a nice shirt and then like nice shoes. So maybe a step mm-hmm. down casual level. That being said, if you're interviewing at like government places or at more corporate settings, so like a Deloitte or Booz Allen or something like that, I would dress professional for that, wear like a suit or um, more professional attire because even though you're working in maybe a technical position, those companies still are more conservative and they're not like traditional tech startups or tech companies where it is more casual. So want to put that out there. It really goes back to knowing the company. You know, knowing who you're applying for. If you're really that uncertain, just ask your recruiter. Like, ask them for advice. Yeah. They're going to know. Um, I was just also going to put in there, treat everybody with respect. Um, this is something that I've seen as an interviewer is people um, directing questions to men that are at the same level as me or, like, acting like I'm HR or even saying, like, oh, are you, like, the HR person? And I'm like, no, I'm, like, an engineer. And uh, I even had one where... Somebody, uh, he shook all the men's hands, but not the women's, which I think is a religious thing, which is definitely understandable. But if you have some sort of um, constraint like that, I think explaining it, like I don't shake women's hands out of respect for my wife or something like that. Like, I think that that goes pretty far instead of just like awkwardly shaking the men's hands, but not the women's. I think, in, and also like insulting or like being rude to a receptionist. Yeah, that's a like, really good one. People talk within the company. Yeah, we have uh, in um California, our receptionist actually told us that she reported into senior leadership about a candidate and how they treated her, and she had a guy once treat her terribly, and she, he didn't get the job because he was treating her horribly you never know who someone is or who they could eventually be to you and also just like people are people like be nice to them i don't know why we even have to explicitly exactly it doesn't matter who someone is or what their title is or if they're going to be in charge of your your acceptance or not like just be nice to people i don't see a problem with that yeah i have one more thing to add in here There are situations where things can go wrong when you're trying to show up for an interview. Like you might show up late, for example. Nobody wants to show up late for an interview, but it does occasionally happen. Please, if that happens, explain why you're late. Like you can't just walk in 20 minutes late to an interview and be like, all right, let's do this. You know, I want to know, you know, I just, you know, I'm sorry, I got stuck in traffic or I missed, I missed the, the first train. I had to take the next one or something like that. Like that goes a long way. And then just assuming if at all possible, be in contact with your point of contact, like email them on the train. (laughs) Like, uh, my train is running really late, but prepare ahead of time. I, okay. I'm a little bit type A, but I've even had it where I've like driven the day before to the place where I'm interviewing so that I know for sure how long it's going to take and where to find parking. If you're like in a city, um, that's something that I've definitely done as well, which is maybe a little bit too much, but it it might be worth it. Don't lie. Like, here's the other thing. Like, if you're going to be late because let's say you overslept, don't tell them your train was late. That's something they could easily look up, I feel like. Like, if you're – like, just <laughs> just be honest. Like, if, if your alarm didn't go off, just be honest about it and, you know, what's the worst that happened? If they're not – you know, it is what it is. But I would say don't lie because that's not starting off on a good foot. Um, one last thing I want to touch on is body language. Um, so, there, you know, when you're sitting in a room with someone – 
it's for me personally, I fidget a lot. I play with my hair a lot. It's unconscious. I don't realize I do it. But in interviews, like try not to fidget, try to sit up straight. If you get thirsty, like typically they'll have drinks there for you. Try not to spill it on yourself. I have trouble with this. (laughs) Um, What are some other things in terms of body language? I can definitely tell when you're, you know, like sitting there with your arms crossed. Your arms crossed is a sign of like you are protecting yourself. And I get that it is a, it's an interview and it's not really a great comfort or, you know, great comfortable situation. But, you know, keeping, you know, as you said, you fidget, like keeping your hands on the table or, you know, talking like this as opposed to like sitting there with your, just your arms crossed while you're talking. I, I mean, I, I pick up on those kinds of body language things as well. Maybe eye contact too. Uh, eye contact and it kind of varies culture to culture. I'm going to be honest. I didn't realize that. Um, and different cultures will maintain eye contact differently. But in general, if someone's talking to you and you're talking to them, like just look at their face, look at their eyes. <laughs> That's a good tip. <laughs> Important. I know somebody who gets really uncomfortable when she's like making eye contact with people. So she looks basically like right in the middle of like their eyebrows essentially so it looks like you're looking at them but they can't actually tell you're just like staring at their eyebrows and it makes her feel a whole lot more comfortable (laughs) well yeah because you can't actually make eye contact with both of someone's eyes at the same time like you have to pick one to look in or the other it's really weird have you ever tried that freaks me out yeah and your eyes are just like bouncing yeah it's like are your eyes okay (laughs) (laughs) on that note i think that we're decently thorough with this. I think don't take these for granted is the big takeaway. Like you, these are still interviews that you should be prepared for. You aren't going to have to study as like hard as you would for a coding interview, but don't take these for granted because they can make or break your ability to get a job offer. Awesome. I think we could go ahead and transition into shout outs. Um, Allie, do you want to go first? Mine is the total curveball, but Society6, I just moved into an apartment and I've been buying like all the art on there. It's pretty affordable. And it's so good. It's so good. It's such like every type of art that you could ever imagine. And it's pretty affordable and really pretty. And you can even get like framed stuff because I'm too lazy to go get framed separately. <laughs> so this is like hashtag not sponsored, <laughs> but I'm a really big fan of society six emma how about you i want to shout out to all the amazing people who took the time out of their busy lives to review my friend and master's course that i'm going to be giving in like a week and a half about design systems so yeah seriously like it was so cool to tweet and be like hey is anyone interested in checking this out and have the creator of or, or like a core team member from the storybook js team and uh, the Max who created styled components review this course because those are the technologies I'm using. Whoa. So to have the people who like built these tools review it was so humbling. Uh, so that's that, awesome. That's my shout out. What about you, Kelly? So mine is a book that I read while I was on vacation. It is called Bad Blood. Uh, it is by John Kerry. I don't know how to say his name. Um, it'll be linked in the show notes. So if if you're unfamiliar with the story of Theranos, um, they like, uh, their, their goal was to basically create this, this blood test using like a tiny little bit of blood from the prick of your finger and test for like 300 different things. And it is such a fascinating story of the train wreck that was that company. Like their rise It was one fall. of the largest scams of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Like they never actually had a working product and they had so many investors that they were fooling. So good. Well, yeah, because she was, she was actually like, 
I don't know what the correct term is, but she was totally fooling everyone, even from the way that she physically spoke, like her voice. Her, she like, like, yeah, she changed her voice. Like an unnatural, deep yeah, voice. Yeah, just because she, you know, it was like, oh, people take you more seriously as a woman if you have a deeper voice. So that's why she did it. It's like totally crazy. I definitely recommend it too. Yeah. Yeah, that I did the audio version of it and it was great. And then watching the documentaries afterwards was really amazing as well, because then you actually got to see her speak and hear the latest updates on it, like in the case and all of that. So highly recommend. (laughs) Is she still like changing her voice? I don't think so. And she's on trial right now, too, which is fascinating. She is on trial now. Yeah. Um, yeah, but spoilers, it is a train wreck of a company and it is like reading the book. You're just like, why is this happening? Why isn't this like somebody please notice this? And, and they like were shutting down like anybody who even said anything negative because you're not dedicated to the company and they were firing people like left and right. I mean, they had prototypes in what Walgreens, CVS, like they were massive. They got really far and they did not have a working. It was actually quite dangerous because they would tell people they had certain blood conditions that they didn't and people were freaking out or they wouldn't tell them they did have a blood condition. Ridiculous. Yeah. And people even like died from it too, or not directly because of it, but because of their diagnoses. Inaccurate yeah. Text, uh, yeah, testing and yeah. So definitely read that book. We should do an episode on like tech scandals in the tech industry. Like those kinds of things. <laughs> we could become like a true crime podcast for an episode. Right? How fun would that be? be? super fun. Yeah. I like that idea. Well, if you like that idea, um, tweet at us. So again, if you like this episode, tweet about it as well. So tweet about if you want a bad blood episode or if you just like this episode. Either one works. Just tweet at us. <laughs> yeah, we need pretty friends. much. We like to hear your thoughts on things and talk to people. <laughs> people are nice. We like them. Um, we love to read your feedback. We'll post new episodes every Monday. So make sure to subscribe to be notified and leave a review. Until next week. Yes.